What goes into your car? As new minerals are rapidly making their way into our everyday life, we're increasingly concerned about the footprint of the materials that underpin our modern lifestyles. The fungibility of natural resources has helped some business players hide behind the complexity of global supply chains. To shed light on one of the most obscure commodities, join me as I pull back the curtain on the supply chain of cobalt. From deep underground all the way to your driveway. I'm your host, Åsa Borsén, and this is High Grade. This is High Grade. To make responsible sourcing a standard and not a standalone product that comes with a higher price tag. If we're going to have a green transition, we also have to have a just transition. Consumers can push and should push. It's not about looking away, but about engaging with the local actors. This is where I get quite passionate. Too few are doing anything about it. Welcome to High Grade and this podcast series on the responsible sourcing of minerals. Our ability to store electricity is central to the ongoing energy transition. And cobalt is a critical input into high-performing batteries. As the global demand for batteries continues a spiraling ascend, so does the demand for cobalt, a metal tainted with the reputation of human and environmental damage. Can battery producers reconcile the increasing social appetite for both cobalt and responsible mining? I'm here with Gillian Davidson, chair of the Global Battery Alliance. Gillian, welcome to the Natural Resources Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. The ability to store energy is key to a low-carbon world, placing battery technology at center stage. How is the global market for batteries coping with this? Great question. And it's a big question mark. Uh, As you said, batteries are going to be absolutely critical to enable the Paris Agreement. We've seen that 30% reduction in power and transport sector emissions, which are the the key sectors, um, is going to be required. And batteries is what's going to enable that. But to put that in context and the scale of mining that we will then need to deliver the commodities um, for the electric vehicles that have been committed, um, we're seeing that it's going to be more than the totality of all mining to date. So it's the biggest purchase order ever in history. Uh, you know, it's an, We're going to see a 19-fold increase between now and 2030 um, in the demand for electric vehicles and batteries. So the the extremity of the supply demand issue is is going to be absolutely enormous you know in, in very basic terms most mineral supplies they're not going to keep pace with that demand um and at the same time we're going to see prices probably increasing cobalt prices more than doubled in, in 2021 um, and we're going to see the total demand for copper rise by by forty percent. So, it's it's a big question mark. And is this a threat to the battery producers? Would you say? 
is a big complexity in the supply chain to manage, of course, and, and we're seeing that already in terms of um, battery producers looking for where they can source commodities from, um, taking much more direct arrangements with, with mining companies. We're seeing them maybe play in the space of, of do they enter the, the mining space themselves. But it really is probably one of the biggest threats to our our transition to the to the low energy um, economy, and and the battery producers are, are really the ones who are having to to unlock that dilemma. And we're going to be talking about how these minerals and metals are produced, because consumers around the world are increasingly concerned with how the products they buy are made, and so the concept of responsible sourcing has gained prominence. Are battery producers feeling this heightened social scrutiny? Absolutely, absolutely. And this was a huge impetus for the creation of, of the Global Battery Alliance, which, yeah. which I chair in, in 2017. But at that time was was the real focus in on issues of human rights and especially child labor in the, the cobalt supply chain. Mm. But there's been this realization that, there, that, you know, there are big issues and it's very complex and it's very urgent across across the sector. And it's being felt in a number of different ways. And I think in addition to NGOs and, and civil society really bringing increased attention to some of those those especially human rights, corruption, environmental risks. We're also seeing um, the downstream buyers, the large OEMs, really looking at, at their supply chains and how they apply their own due diligence and their own responsible sourcing standards and, and pushing that requirement upstream. And then at the same time, we're seeing that um, the investors are really scrutinizing, you know, the risks in their investments and in the supply chain. And finally, you know, governments are very much looking at this space in terms of um, how can they how can they support, how can they regulate. Um, in the EU, we're seeing the adoption of the Corporate Sustainability Sustainable Due Diligence Directive, um, which is really pushing due diligence requirements across the supply chain, a new battery legislation, increased poly- policy attention from countries such as Germany. So we're really feeling you know, that, that heightened scrutiny from, from all sides, not just from consumers. How do you define responsible sourcing? Yeah, I mean, responsible sourcing for us is very much about how we manage that that full spectrum of of social, ethical, environmental and human rights impacts that a a supply chain that can have. But beyond that, how do we embed it into our business and how we can build capacity of, of the supply chain itself? And at the GBA, we very much see that can only be done um, as a collaborative effort. These issues are way beyond the scale of, of any one part of the sector or any one organization. And so the ability to to collaborate, to work together and in partnership really will help us get to, to a, a much more responsible supply chains. And speaking of the battery supply chain, cobalt is a key input into battery production. It's a rather controversial supply chain. Cobalt has even been called a blood mineral. But what is your experience here, Gillian? Uh, what is life like in a cobalt mine? Yeah, as you said, cobalt is is critical to this decarbonization narrative. And, and mm. batteries and the role of cobalt actually play quite a unique opportunity in addressing that nexus between 
you know, what are the risks to people, the environment and the energy transition? Mm-hmm. And you may have seen there was a recent um, Vanity Fair article which actually captured sort of two ends of the cobalt narrative. And one of that being the the, the image that you talked to, um, often associated with artisanal and small-scale mining in, in the DRC, um, images of, of child labor, poor working conditions, environmental degradation. And in this Vanity Fair article, it actually went to the other end of the spectrum, which was looking at an artificial intelligence-enabled um, exploration for cobalt in Greenland, funded by mm. Breakthrough Energy, which is an um, entity funded by uh, people such as Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. So you're, you're seeing extreme ends of, of that, that cobalt narrative. But we have to remember that you know, two-thirds of, of the world's cobalt reserves are in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, 80% of that approximately from industrial and large-scale mining, but 20% of that from, from artisanal and small-scale miners. So there's no one story in cobalt, but the story around human rights um, and livelihoods in the DRC is the urgent one. Um, and there are you know huge concerns, but increasing efforts around how do we start to address some of these unsafe working conditions, issues of corruption, child labor and, and environmental environmental damage and you know I think one of the the most important shifts in the narrative that we've seen is the recognition of the importance of ASM as a vital lifeline and yeah. livelihood for hundreds of thousands of, of people in the DRC and and how do we recognize and support that so that so that those members of the supply chain can also benefit from this this huge growth and the numbers that we've that we've just been been talking about and that's something that also um, it, it, the Global Battery Alliance, we, we think a lot about and how can we support, um, especially the DRC government efforts to to formalize ASM so that they can be part of this, this, um, this energy transition. Mm. I want to take a step back and talk about where battery producers are in the supply chain. Who do battery producers source their cobalt from? Do they buy from, for example, individual refineries or is it commodity traders? When there's such huge demand for a commodity, uh, I think there is uh, there's a lot of effort to source. Um, and what we're seeing is maybe some more innovative um, approaches emerging in terms of, as I said, working more directly with with mining companies strategically themselves. But you know, sixty percent of of cobalt refining is in, or sixty five percent is in is in China, and so a lot of the effort is around working with the refiners themselves, who obviously source the the primary product and in many cases blend that product. Um, and that's where we see a lot of the challenges with regards to um, assuring responsible supply chains and sourcing when you do have that that blending aspect um, yeah. at a refinery level. So you're saying that that is the biggest obstacle to traceability. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's part of the complexity of of any commodity when you when you have a a blending perspective. In what we're seeing is a lot of effort. 
I would say, coming at the opposite ends of the supply chain. One from downstream players, especially the large auto and electronics companies who are really trying to map all the way up their supply chain to the mine site. And so trying to unravel at the refinery level. And at the same time, especially the mining companies, really trying to um, enhance uh, transparency around their own their own product and how that then flows flows downstream. Um, so it really is taking an effort from all aspects of, of the supply chain to, to unravel that. Mm. There is definitely an effort that, that you have to put into this. Um, would you say that responsible supply chains are more expensive? That's a really interesting question. And there's enormous resources going into securing the supply of, of commodities for batteries, mm. whether it's from industry, also from governments and, and from investors. So, yes, there there is effort that is, is required. Um, but frankly, it really needs to be part of doing business. It's no longer mm-hmm. a nice to have. And, you know, I think I would argue that the financial cost of responsible supply chains, you know, in no way can comp- be compared to what can be the human environmental costs um, when they're not responsible. As we buy products, we are often unaware of the human and environmental cost of producing them. You are listening to a high-grade podcast series on responsible sourcing, diving deep into the supply chain of cobalt, a most controversial metal. In this episode, I'm talking with Gillian Davidson, chair of the Global Battery Alliance. We discuss how battery producers are responding to the increased societal scrutiny of their supply chains. You make the point that responsible sourcing should be internalized in the cost of doing business. Um, Let me ask you though, do you think consumers would be prepared to pay more for responsibly sourced products? Well, in a, a recent consumer survey, 78% of consumers said that they would prioritize buying where there was a clear ethical sourcing. Mm. So you're obviously seeing that there's a willingness, but what we're not seeing is a willingness to pay more. I think that the consumer expects that their iPhone and their Tesla should already be child labor free and on track for, for the Paris goals and respecting mm. human rights. So there's an absolute priority to buy, but not not a willingness to pay more. We're going to move on and look at solutions. Um, And here is a question I've asked in this series to all the guests. One can think of two opposite approaches to the problem, either to completely shut out irresponsible producers or to engage them to try and improve production standards. Where would you say battery producers stand on this? Yeah, that's definitely been something that we've seen a a significant shift on and there's this growing consensus that actually it's important not to be thinking about eradicating um, but really focusing on on developing and supporting and formalizing um, around ASM. Prior strategies of, of many of, of the downstream players was around de-risking to ensure that their supply chain was clear of, of, of ASM. But, you know, in reducing their own company risk, we're actually seeing that it can increase risks in those communities and in those economies um, by attaching stigma to to the product. And really, if we're going to have a green transition, we also have to have a just transition. And that really is about how do we bring 
people along with us? How do we support livelihoods and improvements in in human rights and, and quality of life, especially for the most impacted who are marginalized in, in areas who have you know, been most negatively impacted for decades um, by, by commodity production. So so the, the, the narrative has definitely shifted from one of, of um, from de-risking and eradication to how do we support formalization and legitimate participation? Another approach would be perhaps to substitute cobalt with other minerals, so a cobalt-free battery. Um, is that a feasible scenario? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of desire um, and some bold statements from from companies about yeah. reducing or eliminating cobalt um, from batteries, um, and seeing acceleration of of the kind of no nickel, no cobalt uh, battery, much more towards what would be a lithium iron phosphate um, type of batteries. But at the same time, you know, we're also seeing that a lot of this comes down to costs um, and what we have in the kind of cobalt and nickel space in terms of the batteries are proven efficiencies. A lot of governments we're seeing are starting to indicate that the recycling of batteries may become mandatory and, and uh, you know, commodities like cobalt are, are completely recyclable and there's a broader kind of conversation there about one, again, removing cobalt around those commodities, you're then shutting out huge parts um, of the economy to access the benefits of that, for example, in the in the DRC. But also, if we think about the environmental consequences and life of the battery and creating a second life and recycling, um, mm. commodities such as cobalt are still um, in a better position for that. Mm. Um, we've talked now about how responsible sourcing is gaining prominence. And so manufacturers may be tempted to secure access to critical minerals from their own mines. Well, yeah, I think we've already seen some examples um, mm. of battery producers investing in cobalt mines. Uh, the main one, for example, in May last year, CATL um, invested a quarter of China molybdenum's Kesemfu copper cobalt mine in, in the DRC. Hmm. And I also saw that the CEO of Wheaton Precious Metals just earlier this year was talking about EV makers pushing for their own intermediary role um, in mining. So I think that's a really interesting trend for us to watch. But I, I would say that the, the main trend that we're seeing is actually where producers are sourcing cobalt much more directly from mines themselves, um, rather from suppliers or um, intermediaries, um, really given the potential for supply shortages, um, mm -hmm. you, you know, going direct to source. Tesla, for example, they've just released their recent impact report um, and it, it indicated that they sourced 50% of their cobalt directly from mines in, in 2021. Mm. So that would kind of kill two birds in one stone. You know where you're sourcing from, but you're also avoiding a security of supply issues. Exactly. Um, you get full transparency over your mm -hmm. supply chain. Uh, ability to to trace and track that and you're securing your own supply looking forward do you see the battery industry adopting uh, responsible sourcing certification 
Absolutely. And I think in many ways, this already exists. What we're mm-hmm. seeing is the uptake of, of standards and guidance, such as the OECD due diligence guidance, and also yeah. the Responsible Mineral Assurance Program of the Responsible Mineral Initiative. But we're also seeing the shift with regulations, as I mentioned, for example, the EU directive on on due diligence. We're going to start to see this much more as a compliance requirement rather than just a a buyer requirement. Mm -hmm. But I I think at the same time, though, the space is still fragmented. And to your question on adopting a certificate, I think with that fragmentation, it makes it difficult to compare. And so there's growing calls for alignment between many of these requirements and regulation frameworks uh, along with the downstream um, approaches. But beyond sourcing, though, and and the flagship initiative that we have at the the Global Battery Alliance is is really trying to think about the the battery as a whole and the entire value chain right through to, to Second Life and the circular economy. Um, so a lot of the work that we've been doing is is looking at the concept of, of a, a battery passport, which would be a, a, a digital quality seal for a battery and that contains the appropriate information that you would need to understand the environment, social and governance qualities of that battery. Um, and that would be agree- agreed through multi-stakeholders and then would have the ability to be to be traced through through the life cycle. And so it's not just about sourcing and, and um, you know, are the commodities in this battery meeting certain requirements, but it's also through the production and through the use of that battery right through to its, its second second life. Does that technology already exist? It's interesting because it's not actually about technology. It's, it's mm-hmm. actually about um, setting the benchmark for a good battery. So what are the indicators that help us and help all stakeholders, whether it be consumers or investors or the buyers themselves, to understand the qualities of that battery? We then have the ability to work with, with a lot of technology that's really taken off in the last the last few years around traceability, especially using blockchain. And we're seeing a lot of, of um, initiatives. Um, a great one, for example, is resource in the cobalt space, which is bringing together the the, the, the main industrial cobalt miners in in the DRC um, working together increasingly with the supply chain to enable full transparency using a, or traceability using a blockchain. A final question. Ten years from now, what is your vision for battery producers and responsible sourcing? Uh, the vision, especially from the GBA, is that we actually do have this battery passport concept, mm. and it means that we take away the guessing and we take away the concerns because we will know that for for each of our batteries, we'll know their provenance and where they're from. We'll know that they've been responsibly sourced and produced, and that we know that the battery will actually have a continuing life and therefore enable a circular economy. And, and that's what will start to get us towards our our Paris targets for for 2050. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a great conversation. And thank you for tuning in to this Natural Resources podcast series as we continue our journey along the cobalt supply chain. In this episode, we have considered the manufacturing of batteries. Battery producers are under pressure from consumers and investors to clean up their supply chains. 
but ultimately their products rely heavily on small artisanal cobalt miners. Efforts to formalize their operations need to ramp up. Thank you to our sponsor, the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development through BGR. Our next stop in this journey will be the car manufacturers. When a product requires contributions from 60,000 suppliers, how can you be sure of the legacy from your supply chains? Join me to find out. Until then, so long. <laughs>